I'd like to welcome everyone here again. Uh, uh, my name is Paul, one of the pastors here. Um, it's my privilege and honor to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, let's go to God in prayer. Our Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your eyes and ears. Pray that through your word, those who do not have knowledge of you as Lord and Savior will come to that knowledge. Pray only to bring glory to you and furtherance of your kingdom. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Bonnie, could you bring up that picture? There. I don't know how well you can see this. Uh, this painting is titled The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's uh, Rembrandt's illustration of today's verses in Luke 8. Shows the disciples in the boat caught in the storm as they wake Jesus up from a much-needed sleep. Most likely, Simon Peter is holding the tiller. James, John, and Andrew are fighting with the sails and the rigging. And the others are either hanging on for dear life or bailing water or doing whatever they can do. Um, it hints what's going to come. If you look at the right side of the picture, everything is dark, gloomy, threatening, foreboding. On the right, left side of the picture, the clouds are starting to break. The sun's trying to come through. Clearing skies. It's the only seascape that Rembrandt painted. He painted himself as one of the disciples down here on the, uh, that side over in there. Painted himself. It's likely one of his most famous paintings, but nobody knows where it is right now. In 1990, uh, a band of robbers disguised as Boston police officers forced their way into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, stole that painting along with several other works of art. It's never been recovered, and most of the people who are considered suspects or persons of interest have since died. So nobody knows where they hid the thing. It may never resurface again. Several weeks ago, in early June, uh, when we were still back in Luke chapter 6, I was kind of flipping ahead, and I saw that this section of verse was coming up, and I asked Jamie if he would allow me the privilege of bringing this message today, and he graciously uh, agreed to that. Passage of Jesus calming the storm is not only found in Luke, but uh, it's also found in Matthew uh, chapter 8, 23 through 27, and Mark 4, 35 through 41. There's some minor differences between the, the three different accounts, but uh, basically they all tell the same story. If you're using one of the black, black pew Bibles, you'll find today's verses from Luke on page 865. So if you want to go there for a, a second. The heading should say, Jesus calms a storm. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? 
And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now, each of the three versions of this event in Jesus' life are linked to uh, what I consider to be some of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible, found in uh, the same chapter as our call to worship today, Psalm 107, just a little bit later on in it. Um, I have a personal preference for the way it's uh, written in the King James Version because of the difference, just the difference, not so much the flowery language of the King James, but the word they as opposed to some. They, I think, includes everybody. Some means some. <laughs> so, so I'm going to read it from the King James. If you want to read that in the King James, it's in the Red Pew Bible on page 471. But if you want to just follow along in the black one, it's on page 507. Uh, beginning in verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I had grown up knowing that I was going to enlist in the Navy. There was never a question in my, I don't think there was any point in my life where being in the Navy wasn't part of my future plan and I learned this verse early from a movie that had the uh, title Down to the Sea in Ships. And I found it, and I've read that, I read it a lot, and I recognized what the, you know, the meanings of those words. Um, my plans, what I really wanted to do didn't quite work out. I ended up being a Navy weatherman on an aircraft carrier, which was not what I wanted to do. Um, but being colorblind, that was what I could do. So, uh, it helped. It worked out better than I ever thought it would. Um, I like being a carrier sailor. I like being at sea. I like weather. I'm still a weather geek. When I started working on this sermon and editing, what I'd already done was the day that the tornado hit the Meyer warehouse and uh, and. Tip City, and when the sirens went off, instead of running for the basement like a normal, smart person would do, I grabbed my camera and went out in the backyard and looked to see if I could see anything. Uh, earlier this week, I watched a lightning storm to the south. I was just out in the backyard going, wow. And even yesterday when that storm ripped through here, I'm standing in the back of the garage looking out, being a total weather geek. And... Uh, I can see myself, one of the ways that I can be taken out is I'll be standing in the backyard trying to video record the tornado as it's dancing through my neighbor's backyard towards me. That's just, <laughs> so I'm going to spend a little bit of time in Psalm 107 before I go back to Luke. 
these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For starters, an aircraft carrier is an incredibly huge ship. You take this building that we're in right now, this room, you could fit at least six and maybe even eight of these buildings into the hangar bays of the two carriers I was on. Huge ship. Uh, ships my father served on when he was in the Navy were 328 feet long, 50 feet wide. You could put nine of them on the flight deck of the carriers I was on and have room left over. And when you go all the way up to the top of the island where we did our weather observations, the horizon's almost 17 miles away. But when you're standing up there looking around at a circle of ocean, 34 miles in diameter, and there is nothing else out there, that really big ship becomes really small. And you begin to understand the immensity of everything. Um, I grew up swimming in Kaiser Lake and was accustomed to the idea that by the time you walked, waded out at the beach and the water was about that deep, you couldn't see your feet anymore. There were some spots where we anchored in the Mediterranean and the Caribbean where I could count anchor link chains underwater 35, 40 feet down. There was a catwalk we could lay on and hang our heads out over the side and we could see dolphins swimming under the ship. Uh, out at sea, no city lights around, no other lights around, nothing but stars overhead. You could see your shadow by moonlight. And you couldn't find the constellations that you knew were there that I'd grown up looking at because there are so many other stars that you can't see that you, on land that you can see out there. Uh, got to see the northern lights from north of the Arctic Circle and on a couple of times, the night was no wind, the sea was flat, and it's like a big mirror. So not only did you have all the stars overhead, you still had all the stars mirrored in the ocean, so it's like a double, double dipping on the sky. And then we'd go through these schools of bioluminescent plankton. Um, they're little shrimp-like creatures, and they glow like lightning bugs. Uh, only instead of yellow, they're kind of greenish because of the ocean water, it, it looks green. And you could see them in the horizon, in the ship's wake, all the way back to the horizon. I remembered my dad talking about them. When he was on convoy duty between Italy and France, they weren't allowed to even do so much as strike a match on the deck or smoke a cigarette because that little glow of light could give away their position. And yet you'd look back and beyond the horizon, all the way back to the horizon, this glowing green wake that could have guided any airplane or submarine right to them. Uh, uh, Jim Lovell, an astronaut, uh, was part of the first crew of astronauts to orbit the moon. Uh, did the Christmas Eve broadcast uh, where they read from Genesis as Earth is rising over the surface of the moon in 60, 67, 68. He was at sea, he was, a, he was a Navy pilot, he was at air, something happened in his airplane, he lost all his lighting, all of his instrument lights, everything was out. And like I said, as big as a carrier is on a big ocean, and he's several thousand feet up, so he's looking at a couple hundred miles of ocean, he can't find his ship until he saw the wake from that bioluminescent plankton. And that little green wake 
was able, enabled him to line up and land his plane there. So when I talk about, you know, when I see the read the words, the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, it's personal to me. Uh, I love it. Um, the only thing that beats a sunrise at sea is sunset at sea. And I've watched a bunch of them. <laughs> and it took me a while, though, before I realized that Psalm 107 and the uh, Luke passage and the other two were actually tied to these. It was almost a prophecy of what was to come. So I'm going to be jumping back and forth a little bit between Luke and Psalm 107 as I go forward. Now, the big idea of today is that storms will come into your life. Faith in Jesus will help you through the storm. Now, a storm at sea is one of the staples of any good seafaring novel or movie, and I'm a sucker for those as well. You know, you pick the book, if it's got seafaring in it, somewhere along the line, there's going to be a storm. The ship's going to be in danger of sinking. Um, it's there. It's part of it. And, of course, the Bible has its share of storm, stories of storms that see it well. There's Noah's Ark. Now, it doesn't really say it's a storm. It just says it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. But I'm a weather geek. I understand, you know, the storm systems. We had to learn, learn all that stuff. And I just have trouble imagining 40 days and 40 nights of rain with all the, all the accompanying wind, lightning, and thunder. It's just got to be there. And the life in the ark is a lifeboat, no mast, sails, or rudder is ever mentioned. And it's just bobbing out there on the surface of the sea. The story of Jonah is another storm at sea. Jonah tried to flee from God. He'd been commanded to go preach to the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to do it, so he tried to run. He booked passage on the ship to Spain, and he discovers the hard way that there's no place on this earth you can go to get away from God. His disobedience to God's command to preach caused the ship to be caught in a storm, and when the crew finally figured out it's because of him, they calmed it by tossing him overboard, uh, saving themselves and their ship at the apparent cost of Jonah's life. But that's a whole nother story. In Acts chapter 27, 13 through uh, 44, the Apostle Paul accounts being shipwrecked off the island of Malta. He was being sent to Rome as a prisoner. They sailed too late in the year against his warning. Some point he told him that he feared that the voyage would be filled with danger that could possibly result in the loss of the ship, its cargo, and everyone's lives. But despite the warning, they sailed and they got caught in one of the seasonal storms. Just like we've got tornado season here and the hurricane season in the Atlantic, Mediterranean has its own weather patterns. And so they would have known these storms would have been coming. They tossed the cargo overboard. They threw a lot of the ship's tackle overboard. And despite being held as a prisoner, Paul told them to stay with the ship. None would be lost. God's angel had come to him and told him, tell them to stay with the ship. They were finally driven ashore at Malta. His life was spared along with the lives of the other 266 people on board. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he said that he's been shipwrecked three times, but this passage in Acts is the only one where the shipwreck is recounted. 
And I got to see a few storms at sea. I always volunteered to be the outside weather observer. I didn't like being cooped up inside. So when we went to general quarters, I got to go up to the top of the island. And I got to watch storms. Um, got caught in some really heavy rain. Always worried about being... Uh, there's three types of lightning, and the fourth most uh, rarely reported type of lightning is cloud to observer. I was always worried about that. But I would do that. I'd see huge waves, watch some tornadoes form up at sea. Uh, we had winds that came up one time when we were anchored in France that forced all the small boats to stay in. And it just... One of the things that I like doing now, Bonnie, if you'll bring up the first video. Okay, right there is where we held our church services on Sunday morning, uh, two decks down below the main deck. And I can remember this day really well. It was my 21st birthday. And church service that morning was like 45 minutes of riding the octopus at the county fair. And uh, Chaplain Norton did not get around to singing Eternal Father Strong to Save quickly enough in my book. I had to bail out. Uh, And as bad as that was, the little ships that were with us, they were even worse. The guys literally tied themselves into their bunks. So uh, water came in through where the anchor chain runs out. So we're sitting there, church services, and all of a sudden water comes splashing up into the, into the chapel. Okay. Thank you. Now, I would add that at no time did I really fear that my ship was going to sink. We were buttoned up tight. I had no fear that we were going to sink. But for the sailors in Psalm 107... The disciples in Luke, Matthew, and Mark, the sailors that were with Paul in the book of Acts, sinking was an extreme possibility, maybe even a probability. And one difference from the uh, account in Mark, or in Matthew and Luke, and the one in Mark, is when they wake Jesus up. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In Luke, it just says, Teacher, we're perishing. But in Mark, they said, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So now if we take another look at the first verse of today's scripture, Luke 8, 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. There's a couple points here. Note that Jesus didn't say, let's go out and hope that nothing happens to us that causes all of us to drown. He said, let us go across to the other side. He knew in advance that they would get across. At least four of Jesus' disciples, James and John, Andrew and Simon Peter, were fishermen. 
They no doubt were experienced in looking across the sea and determining whether or not it was safe to go out. Coming up in the future, Luke chapter 12, verses 54 and 55, Jesus says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it is. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. Remember, it's coming across the Sahara Desert. And I do the same thing, you know, I get ready to go out on a bike ride, I look at a little weather, weather widget on my phone, make sure that we're not going to get caught in a thunderstorm. Uh, Elaine and I have gotten caught numerous times in the rain, and, you know, some weatherman you are. <laughs> is, so, uh, so, you know, I, I check that. And so uh, all four of those disciples probably had experienced what we would call a weather eye. And it certainly wouldn't have been out of character for Simon Peter to say, Nope, not today, Master. Mm -mm. Not a good idea. Storm coming. Let's wait it out. Let's find another way. But none of them raised an objection to Jesus saying, let's go out on the lake and go to the other side. So I'm just going to presume that the ones that had the experience of looking at it didn't see any need to be concerned. Going ahead to Luke 8, 23. And, they, and as I sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Or as it says in Psalm 107, verse 25, For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and they're at their wit's end. Now, Jesus was tired. He spent a long day teaching, preaching. He'd spoken all day, crowd and pressed around him, seeking his help. He was worn out physically and mentally. King James Version said that he and his disciples got into a ship and went out across the Sea of Galilee along with a few other ships. Now, I've already talked about how big a carrier is. I have trouble calling a 35, 40-foot boat a ship. You know, all the small boats we carried on the ship were probably bigger than the ones they were in. Storm comes up, wind and waves begins battering, they get swamped, they're fighting a losing battle with the water coming in, they're fighting with the sails and the rigging. In Rembrandt's painting, one of the disciples, speculations is Judas, getting seasick over the side of the boat. And the storm on the Sea of Galilee is nothing to be trifled with because when the storms come up, it's a relatively shallow body of water, so the waves are a lot bigger. Lake Erie is notoriously treacherous. That a storm on Lake, you know, a storm that moves across Lake Superior then hits Lake Erie is going to be a whole lot worse on Erie than it is on Superior just because of the size and depths of the two lakes. And the four fishermen. Uh, were probably even more acutely aware of the danger they were in than the others because as fishermen, they probably had family and friends who went out fishing and never came back unless eventually the bodies washed ashore. So they knew they were in trouble. Working like crazy, trying to control and save the ship. And you can see how well you know, Rembrandt captured that scene. But here's Jesus 
sleeping on a cushion in the stern, or as we'd say, stacking Z's on the fantail. Skating. You know, he's, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. The opening line in the second stanza of the Leonard Cohen song, Suzanne, says, Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water. And if that line's true, I'm personally convinced that Jesus would have been a carrier sailor. You, know, you learn to sleep through certain noises. Um, Bonnie, if you bring up that second video and just hold it for a second. Okay, this is a plane about to land on the deck. Right there is the number three arresting gear wire and the number four wire. My bunk was immediately under the flight deck right about there. Go ahead and play that one. And that's nowhere near as loud as it really is. That could have been recorded right in my rack. And uh, repeat that 24 to 30 times every two hours from 9 a.m. till 2.30 in the next morning. Gives you an idea of what carrier life is like. And Jesus was able to sleep through a storm. And, you know, you learn to sleep through that. And I think Jesus learned to sleep through that as well. Luke 8, 24. And they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Or as it says in Mark, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging sea waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And if you look back in Psalm 107, 28 and 29, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Think of all the things that could have kept Jesus awake. He could worry about the religious and political leaders who plotted against him. He could worry about his own family who thought he was a little bit crazy. He would worry about the people in his home, hometown when he read the prophecy and said, today in your presence this word is fulfilled. They accused him of blasphemy and threatened to throw him off a cliff. He could worry about the overwhelming crowds, their overwhelming needs. He could worry about his disciples. Were they learning? What were they going to do? He could worry about his future, and he knew what his destiny was. And sometimes it's even possible to be so physically and mentally exhausted that you can't sleep. You ever been that tired, so tired you can't get to sleep? All this to worry about, Jesus not worrying. He's sleeping in a rolling pitching boat getting slammed by a storm. Wind didn't wake him. The yelling of the disciples amongst themselves didn't wake him. Water washing into the boat didn't wake him. But at the cry of the disciples to him, he instantly awoke. Like the mother sleeps through everything, all kinds of noise, but the slightest noise from the baby, she wakens up. I could sleep through that plane landing on my uh, head, but when I heard the words, mail call, mail call, I'm awake. <laughs> I was hoping I'd get a letter. 
Jesus isn't happy when they wake him up. He has not to be, you know, it's not just that they woke him up that he was, and he was tired and he needed it. He wasn't happy at the disciples. One of the accounts, again, says that after he rebuked the winds and the waves by standing up and saying, peace, be still. And he probably wasn't really gentle in that language. Rebuke means an expression of sharp disapproval or criticism. He also rebukes the disciples. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? So I'm going to guess he's a little bit angry at them. Because they're just not getting it. Just as he rebuked the wind and waves, he rebuked the disciples. So it's a pretty sharp tone of voice. And not only what he said would sting him, but the way he said it, and maybe even the look on his face when he said it. All this time with the disciples with him, all this time with him, and the disciples did not understand that God would not allow something bad to happen to them while Jesus was with them. They were safe, even in the midst of a storm that all of their human knowledge told them was bad, dangerous, and threatening. And they didn't understand that Jesus just wasn't some other guy in the boat. He was special. They questioned themselves, what kind of man is this? And think about it, they've witnessed all the stuff that he's done before. And yet they still marvel about him. It's like he's saying, what part of this don't you get? They, you know, they probably knew the words of Psalm 107. Maybe it was hard to visualize that, okay, the storm that David wrote about in Psalm 107 is the storm we're in right now. And they were also known... Knowing that, you know, they cry to the Lord in the trouble, he brings them out. They would probably also known Psalm 89, verse 9. You rule the raging of the seas. When the waves rise, you still them. And after having been with Jesus for so long, they should have realized that he was the person these psalm passages were referring to. It was not their fear of the storm that made Jesus say they had no faith. Small boat in the big storm is a scary place. It's what they chose to do with their fear that made the difference. Again, just you know, back to the beginning, let's go across the other side. Let's not go out on the boat lake and hope we don't all drown. He promised a safe arrival. And the disciples could have chosen to trust in that promise, but they didn't. So in that sense, they had no faith. And while I was working on this, I thought of another point that I just, wow, that never jumped out at me before. Psalm 107, verse 25 says, For he commandeth and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves thereof. This was not a natural storm. This was a God-commanded storm. Much like the storm that caught Jonah when he tried to flee from God. God is not going to call up a storm to kill the disciples and Jesus. God called up this storm to prove something to the disciples. He wanted them to know that he would demonstrate his power through Jesus. The disciples should have known that God would not allow the Messiah to perish in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. 
How could the story of Jesus' life possibly end that way? His birth was announced to Mary by the angel Gabriel. Celebrated by angels singing, shepherds adoring him, wise men traveling hundreds of miles to worshiping, bringing gifts. He was considered so important that Herod viewed him as a threat to his kingdom, ordered the murder of hundreds, maybe thousands of babies and children under the age of three to try to get rid of him. He astonished the teachers and rabbis in the temple with his knowledge and wisdom as a 12-year-old. He cleansed leopards, gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, made the lame walk. A few weeks earlier, they displayed, they witnessed the healing of the centurion's servant when all the centurions said, you know, you're not wor- I'm not worthy to have you enter my house. Say the word and it'll be done. And it was done. They saw him restore life to the widow's son. When John the Baptist's followers came to him and said, you know, John wants to know who you are, Jesus told him, go back and tell John what you've been seeing. So how could it possibly end with him drowning in a boating accident on the Sea of Galilee? Charles Spurgeon once wrote, our fears are often intensely silly, and when we get over them, and we ourselves look back on them, we are full of shame that we should have been so foolish. Our Lord kindly censored their unbelief because it was unreasonable. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus could say they had no faith because he accused Jesus of a lack of care towards them. Again, it's only in Mark where it says, do you not care that we are perishing? When we think that Jesus doesn't care about us, it shows that we don't have faith because we don't believe the truth about Jesus. It takes a lot of faith to trust a sleeping Jesus, to know that he cares and works for us, even when it doesn't seem like it. But that's the kind of trust God wants to build in us. It's not that he didn't care. It was was that he knew that he didn't have any reason to worry. Jesus could say that they had no faith because they forgot the big picture. They were safe in the sea because they were in the boat with its creator in human form. The bottom line is they forgot the big idea of today's message. Storms will come into your life. Jesus will be with you through the storms. Storms will come into our lives. Some people mistakenly think that by becoming a Christian, life will suddenly become nothing but smooth sailing. Well, there's an old saying, calm seas never made a good sailor. Storms will come to test you and test your faith. In today's verses, the storm was a rarity because it wasn't a natural storm. And if it's my statement is true that it's a God-commanded storm, it's one of only three times when the storm was by God's decree. Noah, Jonah, Sea of Galilee. However, God will allow storms to come into your lives. One of the lessons I take from having read the book of Job several times is that God allows his people to be tested. All the catastrophes that were visited on Job were not from God, but they were permitted by God. And I believe this possible that Satan 
continues to appear before God, offering up people for God to test. And if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, it begins with the Uncle Screwtape, who's sort of a senior tormento, tormentor in Satan and Hell's hierarchy, scolding his nephew Wormwood because his patient had become a Christian. And the balance of the book consists of Screwtape's counseling Wormwood on methods of causing the patient to fail at being a Christian thus securing his condemnation rather than his salvation. Wormwood suggests major trials and catastrophes, while Screwtape favors the more subtle approach, the gradual road. So becoming a Christian can lead to storms that might cause you to doubt and even reject your faith. A lot like the people that Jesus referenced in the parable of, of the sower that Pastor Matt shared with us just a couple of weeks ago. They spring up enthusiastically, but then wither when times get tough or they get choked out by the cares of their lives and the other outside things. Now, we believe and teach that once saved, always saved. You cannot lose your salvation. But the storms of some people's lives caused them to engage in a life that would certainly make everyone question whether or not they really were truly saved. Because the one who is truly saved will live a life that reflects his or her salvation. The storms of life help bring people closer to God, increase their faith, rather than causing them to reject and disavow their faith. Other storms could be in the form of health issues, diseases, money problems, your job, your lack of a job, family problems, addictions, bad relationships, unthinkable losses. Maybe the storms are external and maybe they're all in your head. Worrying about things you can't control. Unreasonable fears about things not likely to happen. Feelings of low self-worth, low self-esteem, constantly questioning yourself. What are your storms? Are you trying to get by here on your own without seeking God's and Jesus' guidance? Are you fighting the winds, waves, pitching and rolling of your ship and trying to do it on your own? Or you seek Jesus' guidance and help. It didn't work for the sailors that were on Paul's ship. They sailed when they knew they shouldn't have, struggled and fought to steer the ship unsuccessfully, finally made it safe offshore Malta, considered trying to sneak off and abandon the ship, and then they thought, well, we'd be better off killing all these prisoners rather than risking their escape. Yet Paul had warned them that it would be in a, a dangerous voyage, extreme risk of losing everything, but he told them that no one would lose their lives as long as they stayed with the ship. He had been visited by God's angel who told him all of that. His words were shown to be true. It didn't work for the disciples either. They struggled to control the ship. They were fearful of losing everything before they called on Jesus, but they had no reason to fear. Jesus was with them. They were under his care, even though they couldn't realize it. They were safe in the middle of their storm, even as Jesus was stacking Z's on the fan tail. We're never promised that storms won't come into our lives, but we are promised that the one who can calm the storms will be with us. 
The relationship with Jesus isn't about never being in a storm. It's about being in a storm, but in a boat that can't be sunk. Recently, he read a short devotional that references this particular passage, Jesus calming the storm, and it concluded with these words. Can we learn to find calm by faith amidst the waste of sin and the storms of emotion within our hearts? It may seem impossible, but there is hope and there is comfort to be found. First, know that you are not alone and that this is not any surprise to the Lord. He is with you in it all, and he loves you. Second, know that it's not a sign of failure in his sight because you struggle with doubt during your personal storms. It's an age-old challenge for all of God's people, even the great ones. God had to remind Joshua, one of Israel's most valiant leaders, who followed the Lord fully, to not be afraid. Finally, remember that with Christ, nothing is impossible. He is able. When we understand that we are weak and learn how to look to Christ and cling to him, we will begin to experience Christ as our calm. When I was a kid, my older sister learned to play the piano, uh, got good enough to where she was able to play at church. One of the hymns that she practiced is titled, Master of the Tempest is Raging. Uh, the words were by Marianne Baker. And listen to the words of that hymn. I will not, you do not want to hear me try to sing it, trust me. But the words, Master of the Tempest is Raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is overshadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep? When each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep. Master, with anguish of spirit, I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep over my sinking soul. And I perish, I perish, dear Master. Oh, hasten and take control. And the final stanza. Master, the terror is over. The elements sweetly rest. Her sun in the calm lake is mirrored. And heaven's within my breast. Linger, O oh blessed Redeemer. Leave me alone no more. And with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. He maketh the storm of calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they be glad because of be silent. He bringeth them unto their desired haven. And this is the chorus to the song that goes between each of those stanzas. The winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace, be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace, be still.
We only need to seek him. And we need to approach him from a position of faith and belief. Jesus, I know you can handle this. Not, Jesus, don't you care? You rule the raging of the seas, and when its waves rise, you still them. Please, come alongside me and still my raging seas. Do you know this, Jesus? The one who can safely carry you through the worst storms, even when it seems he's not aware? As Pastor Steve said just last week, it may seem strange to pray to a person who you can't see. In the disciples' case, it takes a lot of faith to trust the sleeping Jesus. But to those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he is always there. We know that he can and he will if only we ask him to do it. With Jesus at our side in our faith, we can also rebuke the winds and the waves and we can shout, peace, be still. And not have to be asked, where is your faith? Because we're already relying on it. Let's pray. Our Lord, I thank you for the honor and privilege of presenting your word and pray that those who hear the word will come to a knowledge of you. We pray that you be with us through our storms. Keep us always aware of the fact that you are with us and all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.